Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and relationship to the kingdoms of the world, which are in decided uh, difficulties today. I was going to say disorder, but I think things are going along just like chaos ordered. We're seeing all kinds of changes in uh, the lifestyle of uh, the people of the world, of Americans, of people all over the world. And uh, this is all supposedly because of COVID, but it is not have. It really doesn't have anything to do with COVID. It has to do with your fear of COVID, and your fear of COVID has to do with your addiction to the media and to politics, because that is your salvation in your mind. I can't believe that any real Christian would be fooled by the pandemic uh, that is being foisted upon the minds of the people. Uh, but the fact that it, there are many people who believe they are Christians that are accepting the idea of COVID and a pandemic that that is threatening the lives of everybody in the world when we know that 98, 99, 99.8% of the people don't even, that won't even die from COVID. I mean, if you had people from the age of 1 to 100, each one representing an age bracket, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, only one of those people would die from COVID. (laughs) At the statistics they're giving you, which are false statistics to begin with, because most of the people who supposedly die of COVID don't actually die of COVID. Many of them don't even have COVID because nobody can tell by a PCR test. But anyway, we've gone over all that before. We want to look at some of the remedies for this. And in order to do that, we have to look a little bit at the source of why people were so susceptible to this delusion of a plague that isn't really killing anybody. I mean, the death rates aren't really going up. Certainly not because of COVID. The death rates are the same as they were two years ago. There is a shifting of death rates. In some areas, there's a slight increase in death rates. But much of that has to do with drugs, alcohol, and suicide. Suicide rates are up anywhere between 98% to 300% in some areas. Suicides amongst young people is up by phenomenal rates. Attempted suicides or uh, uh, attempted uh, self-harm and suicides are way up amongst young people. And it's not because of COVID. It's because of the shutdown. And the shutdown is because of an international agenda to lock you all up in your houses, stop you from talking to anybody else, and create fear. And it's doing a really good job (laughs) of doing that because you all are so compliant and you're so compliant because you're already under a strong delusion. And one of the strongest delusions out there is that millions upon millions of people think they are Christians 
think they believe in Christ, think they are following Christ, and they actually are not. I'm talking about many of them. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus said, that many will think they're following me, doing great things in my name. But I don't even know them, and they are actually workers of iniquity. So, just the fact that you think you're a Christian is not a guarantee that you are a Christian, because Christ said it's not a guarantee that you're a Christian. Just because you say you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you actually believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. It You could be under a strong delusion. So how do you know if you're under a strong delusion or not? Well, I can guarantee that you're all under some delusion or another, because we are all deceived. But how far does that deception go? How far does that delusion go? How strong is that delusion? And is there a a way of recovering a redemption from that delusion? For one thing, we often think that we believe in Jesus because we read about him in the Bible. But what we actually did when we read about him in the Bible or heard about him in churches was we constructed an image of Jesus in our minds. We may not have actually gone out and built a statue, but we have constructed an image of Jesus in our mind, an image of God in our mind. And we've done this with the help of ministers and authors and and just people in general who talk about God and, and Jesus. And we construct this image. And... That that isn't necessarily anything wrong with that. It's when we worship that image, when we believe in that image more than we believe in the reality around us in the universe in which we find ourselves. And that's what a lot of people do is they construct this image of God or Jesus in their mind or Muhammad or whatever in their mind. And they worship that image. And anybody who says anything contrary to what you are worshiping in your mind is the enemy. And and so that how do we draw the line between... The image of God and, and the true God. Well, reality will actually draw that line eventually, but we only have this one lifetime to work out that the contradictions between our image of God, our image of Jesus Christ, and the real Jesus Christ. And there's, but there's a lot of things that will happen in our life that will help us see where there's a conflict between the image in our mind and the true Jesus Christ, and the true God of heaven. And one of the things is our works. What we do will show us whether we're believing in the real Jesus or the fake Jesus in our mind, the imaginary Jesus in our mind. And one of the things is that you actually fell for the COVID (laughs) pandemic. That you actually believe that there is a great threat from COVID. Now, I just had two friends. They, they, 
they li- uh, live near here, but they snowbird down south, and they both supposedly just got COVID, and they were very sick, and they're having trouble recovering. Now, there may be all kinds of uh, reasons for that. I don't even know if they really had COVID, because most of the COVID cases have actually co- come and gone. There has been a delay and it's probably going to cause more injury because there's been a delay in arriving at total herd immunity. But that delay was caused by the shutdown, which was predicted by the top epidemiologists in the world when they first started talking about shutdown. But they were immediately silenced by the media and Facebook and Google and everything else. But they were the top epidemiologists. And they were saying a shutdown may cause more deaths in the long run. Not even counting the suicide death, the drug addiction deaths, the uh, opioid deaths, all of which have risen by uh, 10, 20 times what they uh, should be uh, normally because of the shutdown. I mean, George Floyd is dead because of the shutdown. (laughs) Because... George Floyd went back on drugs because he didn't have a job. He went back to crime because he didn't have a job. And he was sitting around with all this idle time. And so he overdosed on fentanyl that he swallowed when he was caught breaking the law. And he was trying to conceal the fentanyl, which was in his mouth. And he swallowed it and it ended up causing his death. So he literally died because of the shutdown. Not because of COVID, but because the shutdown by politicians who are seizing the opportunity of this planned demic, (laughs) this planned epidemic in order to uh, promote fear in the world and assert control. So what can you do besides, uh, so if you you fell for that and you fell for a lot of other things, we're going to go through uh, a number of different things that, it came up. Somebody wrote an article about a Greek word, Acadia, and I read it just before uh went on the air. Uh But, you know, basically the word Acadia is this the negative of kados, uh, which is a term that has to do with care, concern, or grief. That when you care about somebody, you're concerned about somebody, or you have this grief for an, an individual because you care. Uh But Acadia, Acadia is when that's a negative thing. And the Christians actually had a word for the Greek word Acadia that sort of meant uh, what they called the noonday demon. And uh, it it wasn't very common amongst Christians. And when I say Christians, I'm talking about 4th century Christians, not, not the early Christians. But 4th century Christians are a mix of real Christians and the new Constantinian Christian, which was decidedly different than a real Christian. And it began to divide this image of Jesus Christ away from the real Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll have to look into that a little bit more deeply, but uh, we're going to insert some of this to prepare us for the rest of how Christianity really should be operating today, which would give you an immunity to things like Acadia and the pandemic. 
this uh, idea of this noonday demon, which is the way the Christians refer to this uh, idea of Acadia, which is this lacking care, came about because of, in Christianity, and again the 4th century Christianity of Constantine, in the monastic life of people who were isolating themselves in, in their cells and in their prayer rooms and stuff in these monasteries. This whole idea of monasteries, Christ didn't create the idea of monasteries. That actually we inherited when some of the philosophies crept into Christianity with these sudden instantaneous Christians that were converted at the the Church of Constantine. Because Constantine required that everybody in Milan like get baptized and become Christians, but uh, he didn't say anything about repentance. And they actually joined a church that was receiving funds from the government. And the government had those funds because they conquered and killed people. Uh, they would wipe out whole cities, kill thousands of people uh, uh, with an invasion, and then steal all their stuff, and then have plenty of stuff to give this new church of Constantine. And we, we have a list of... Millions, what would even be considered billions of dollars in property and values that were given by Constantine to his new church, which couldn't muster, you know, 300 real Christians out of 1,200 known bishops. And then the very next meeting they had, they only had about 150 show up. And this was with all the new Constantinian Christians who were forming this new church which was the Constantinian church. Now, both of these kind of work side by side uh, to some degree. One of the very first bishops of Milan, which was Ambrose, he called for the destruction, uh, not destruction so much, but the exiling of certain Christians who did not see Christianity the way he saw Christianity. And uh, because, see, when he was called to be the bishop of these new converted Christians in Milan who did not repent and become Christians. They just became Christians. They just got baptized and became Christians. Now, there was some turning around in their thinking. They were now going to be taking care of one another through charity for the most part. But they got this jump start from Constantine who gave them these millions and millions of dollars in property and, and assets so that they could start living by faith, hope, and charity. That's not what Christ started. <laughs> Christ started people living by faith, hope, and charity without a jump start from a totalitarian dictator who went around stealing and devouring who he wished. He was now shifting the welfare system, which was bankrupt in Rome, to a charitable system, and they called that Christianity. But they didn't do it with pure religion. They did it with a very spotted religion because they were receiving these huge amounts of donations, which continued for centuries. Uh, and if, you know, that's what uh, they were crowning kings around 1066, 1090, they were crowning kings who gave huge amounts of money to that church, which was coming down from Constantine, not from Christ. This church that came from Constantine instead of from Christ 
was getting these huge donations from kings that they would crown. And those kings were taxing the people in many cases so that they would have the money to give to the church. Well, of course, that's totally an, an anathema to what Christ was teaching. It is totally contradictory to what Christ's teaching. But that church flourished in the world. And that church and the daughters of that church still flourish in the world. And uh, many people mistake their form of Christianity for the true gospel of Christ. Because not so much for what they say, but for what they failed to say, which was that you are not to covet your neighbor's goods even through the agency of men who exercise authority. Something Christ said, but they failed to teach you. It's right there in the book. It's right there in the instructions. But they can't see it. The same as they could not see that there were no rise in deaths with COVID. (laughs) There was simply a shift in the counting. Anybody who died with flu, anybody who died, you could die of a gunshot. And if a PCR test said that you had COVID within the last 28 days, it was a COVID death. And so, yeah, you get these huge numbers. But, uh, and, and I tell you, isolation and depression brings about this Acadia that also will bring about, uh, especially amongst old people, more deaths because you're isolating them. And all this is a part of a grooming process that is setting you up for their great reset, the new world order. But the grooming process did not just start in uh, 2019 or 2020. It's been going on for a long time. It's been going on since the days of Constantine and even before that. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to, so that's a word that we're going to use again and again. Grooming, we often think of grooming as, uh, well, other than, you know, if you're a dog groomer or something, um, as a psychological term, it's like, uh, someone who is grooming youth, uh, for illicit, uh, sexual activity of, uh, one form or another. And they groom that individual to get them to be receptive to indulging in these illicit behaviors. Uh, same thing goes on, you know, if you were to join the mafia. They groom you for uh, accepting the authority of the mafia. And that's exactly what they were doing back in the days of uh, uh, Constantine. But they've been doing it in the days of FDR and LBJ as well. And they've been setting you up for the New World Order for over a hundred years on somewhat of a fast track. A hundred years is a pretty fast track in a 2,000 year history since the days of Christ. But it has allowed you to accept all kinds of ideas that just ain't so. And so in bouncing off these topics, we're going to look at a lot of these things and I'm going to be critical of some of the ideas that have gotten into your mind. And I'm not being critical of you because the whole world would have gone after this insanity except by the grace of God. And I'm I'm going to tell you where you have been deluded in a lot of places so that you can make a shift. But ultimately, you need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. In order to be guided by the Holy Spirit, you need a humble heart to let the Holy Spirit in. 
So if I seem to be attacking you, forgive me. <laughs> so, so that ye may be made whole again. Because if you, if you get angry with me, you're not going to see the truth. And if I'm wrong, okay. But why are you angry with me? That you should be, you should have pity on me if I'm wrong. So anyway, uh, this, this Acadia, this, uh, hopelessness is really what it is all about. This noonday demon, as the Christians call it, is, is when the mind is seized by emotions, horrified at where he is, disgusted with his room, it does not allow, I'm quoting here, allow him to stay still in his cell or to devote any effort to reading. Now, this was a description of this monastic uh, noonday demon that would come upon these people living this solitary life in monasticism. And again, monasticism, as we see it for the most part, is not really... Uh, a Christian pursuit. It, it actually predates Christianity and it came out of other teachings and philosophies. Uh, now there was some form of monasticism that was, you could actually find in true Christians if you go back into the early church, but it was temporary. It was like you go to somewhere for a retreat for a month <laughs> and you uh, or a week or whatever or a weekend and you isolate yourself so that you can learn to be still. You actually put yourself in a somewhat uh solitary confinement. And that solitary confinement, which is supposed to be, you know, solitary confinement is supposed to be one of the most inhumane treatments that you can do to somebody in prison. But what the idea is that you put yourself in this forced state of quiet and solitude so that you can try to learn to be still and re-examine yourself without all the distractions of the world. That's a temporary thing. The idea that someone is to be living as a monastic for 50 years is, is not, is, it's not a Christian, it's not a godly pursuit. We are not meant to be isolated for long periods of time. We are put here to be amongst other people, to interact with other people, not to sit in some isolated cell for 50 years, supposedly praying to God. So anyway, uh, where did that idea come from? How did that creep into what we think of as Christianity today, this idea of monasticism? And then why is it so important to the New World Order agenda of the Great Reset that we be isolated. Well, we'll answer that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, this Acadia, this noonday blahs, or long-time blues, whatever you want to call it, is one in this strange combination of listlessness uh, undirected anxiety and inability to concentrate is generated. And people are experiencing this and they reach out for different things to try to resolve that, which includes taking drugs, 
alcohol, you know, abuse of other people, uh, suicide, uh, depression sets in. Then they take uh, medications, which this, the side effects of those medications can be more depression and suicidal thoughts. And so you're ending up with more and more people harming themselves because they're actually suffering from Acadia, which is forced monasticism, <laughs> forced isolation of yourself for long periods of time, and a sense of uselessness that comes about because you have no sense of accomplishment. We want most people want to go out and accomplish something. And when they do that, they have a sense of purpose and satisfaction. We talked about that in the previous show. This sense of purpose is very important. They're taking that away. They've robbed that away. They didn't just do it to lock you down because of a supposed pandemic. It's part of that grooming process. Because they're taking you away from the natural course of things. Just uh, two different places. Uh, what was it? Um, Grace Church School. Uh, I think that's in Boston. And uh, another outfit. It was uh, like in Oxford or someplace. Uh, it was saying that they're no, go- no longer going to be using. It's inappropriate to use terms like mom and dad to describe parents. <laughs> because you have to use gender neutral <laughs> uh, words instead. Now, these are the, the this is coming out of highly um, prestigious academic institutions um, that they're actually saying this out loud is shocking. But that's actually being promoted, not by some fringe group, but by main, what has been considered main sources of education in the world. That we're not to use things like mom and dad anymore because it's not gender, gender neutral. And they had all kinds of other words they were adding into that, that, you know, uh, guys and gals, you can't use that anymore. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And the fact that it's being spoken out loud in the media as if it's okay is even more nonsense. But part of the shock value of them saying that is also part of their plan. To get you to react. They don't care if you react because you say, yeah, that's a good idea. Or you react because that's insane. They want you to react emotionally to their nonsense. Because they want to keep you on an emotional level because that will magnify the Acadia that you may already be experiencing. Because that is has to do with the deprivation of the emotional interaction with other people. This is what monasticism does when we're talking about isolated monasticism. There was monasticism, there was monasteries that had all the monks were married, they had children and family and all that stuff. You could still go there to you know for a week or a month of prayer or maybe you would go there for uh medical treatment, um health reasons you would go there and uh, they would accommodate you in 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 a place where there was quiet and all this stuff and the kids were all playing out in homes and stuff that surrounded the monastery. 
Uh, monasteries had uh, usually walls around them. One of the reasons they had walls around them is they grew certain plants inside those walls that wildlife and uh, forage animals uh, would find toxic, but they were growing them for medicinal reasons. All kinds of stuff. We have this kind of B-movie view of what was going on in monasteries. But the mere idea that all the monks who lived in the monastery were married and had children and uh, were very family-oriented, and they might work in the monastery for four or five years. They might go out and work out in other communities for 10, 20 years and then come back and retire at the monastery if their family passed away or they just live with their you know, children and grandchildren until they passed away. That was that was the way it worked. That was the way it was. But we had this idea that all these monks were running around unmarried guys living in a big commune. Uh, no, that's not what was going on. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we have stories of, you know, when the Pope started making an order that the monks were to become celibate, which was not a part of the early church at all. It was a part of the church that Ambrose joined which was the Constantinian church. It wasn't pervasive throughout the Constantinian church, but it certainly was there amongst the Constantinian church, this idea of celibacy. There was no such thing in the early church. And um, they, actually, they sent, in, in 900 AD, they sent orders to certain monasteries that they were to put away their wives. They weren't to have wives anymore. And they refused, and they came in and literally killed the monks and took over the monastery. <laughs> uh, this is the other church, you know, the Constantinian church, came in and killed the monks and took over the buildings and the properties that they had built and deleted that crime from history. Kind of like the Prince of Monaco. They're all, they were all pirates. They were pirates that came up to Monaco and killed the previous inhabitants, murdered them all almost in a single night, and took over, and now they're the prince of Monaco. <laughs> so these are descendants of pirates that are running that kingdom. And, but they just, they skipped that part of history and they just, and they have all the pomp and ceremony and crowns and what was Grace Kelly married? She became the Princess of Monaco. I think that was correct. And, uh, but originally the way they got control of that area was the pirates came in and murdered all the people that lived there who were probably real Christians. I don't know. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were Constantinian Christians too. But, uh, we, we don't know our history because it's been deleted. The inconvenient truths are deleted. And that's what they've done with Christ is they've deleted the inconvenient teachings of Christ so that you don't know them. And in order to, when they start deleting these, emptying out these true teachings of Christ, they have to put in something else to fill that gap. So that's what they're doing now is they're grooming you. They're taking out all kinds of things from your vocabulary and, uh, you know, tearing down your heroes. I mean, that's a whole thing with, you know, Star Wars and, and which was a battle of good and evil and father and son. Fascinating story. You could go on about that. We may even do a special program just on that. And, but they're now destroying those heroes. 
they're making them out as incompetent smugglers and and uh you know Luke is this uh isolating monastic guy living off <laughs> on this island and uh afraid and confused and and uh you know worse than he was when he was a teenager and uh, they're destroying and killing off all the heroes of that story the same as they're tearing down statues and you know I mean, Christopher Columbus had all kinds of problems. Uh, he w- wasn't the mass murderer everybody wants to make him out at. Slavery and all those things all existed in America long before white people came here. Nobody wants to mention that. I mean, the Indians had slaves. Uh, the Aztecs had slaves and were killing people on a regular basis. And, and, uh, and most of the people of the islands were afraid to go there. Uh, because of the fact that they would just be enslaved and they, so nobody wants to talk about that. That actually a lot of those evil things that were going on in America stopped when the Europeans came here. But Europeans brought their own evil too. But if you're gonna start dissecting elements of history and delete this and delete that and delete that and we're only gonna look at this, well then you're gonna get this distorted view and that's of course what they wanna do. Uh, they've deleted history from the schools 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They changed history in the schools 40, 50, 60 years ago so that you, they were deleting items of history and then they deleted history altogether. So, you know, long before they dumbed down your children, they dumbed down your parents' children and your grandparents' children. So how do we get back? How do we get to where we need to be? We have to go back to the real Christ. We have to go back to where we should have been for the last 50 to 100 years, and we've been going away from that. We don't want to get back to modern Christianity. We want to get back to the first century church. Now, at the time the first century church formed, which formed by the directive of Christ, he called out a group of men. He he said, you cannot be of the world. didn't tell all the people they couldn't be of the world. He said... His disciples could not be of the world. His disciples had to be separate. They couldn't own anything in their own name. They had to take all their property and and do what Christ said. Give it to the poor. And then you could become one of the ministers of Christ. And they would own all things in common. Exactly what was the case with the Levites. I had somebody who thought he had studied all about reads all the time. He didn't know that the Levites owned all things common. That's why they had common lands. Belonged to the Levites. Which Levite owned them? They all owned it. The Levites owned all Levite land in common. It didn't mean that you could just go into any Levite's house and say, this is my house. No. They had a legal title to the, the house that they had, but they didn't have the lawful title. They didn't own it. They couldn't be taxed because they couldn't exercise authority one over the other. But they could live in it. And it was their home and they could fix it up. And it could go on to their children. Because Levites, in order to be a, a minister, a rabbi, a priest, you had to be married. And then if you were married, you likely you had children. <laughs> this is the way they were organized. What were they actually doing? Why, why even need Levites? Well, to take care of the religion. 
What was the religion? It was how you took care of the needy of your society. And how did you do that? You did it with charity. And so how do you just, just go around and look for poor people and throw money at them? No, you give the money to the Levites and the Levites take care of the needy. Why Why have professional people to take care of the needy? Because there's a lot of needy that just go around and they're professional needy people. And they they just learn how to play the system. Well, if you have a group of people that are in charge of taking care of the needy, not only will you have needy that are not overlooked because this is their full-time job, but the people who are slothful and just want to use the system, like we see today all over the country, and we're going to look at that too, you can find them out because you need to have a system of charity that strengthens the poor, not weakens the poor. Right now you have a system of charity started by FDR and LBJ to weaken the poor and that's why we are seeing and now with this new stimulus coming out they're just addicting more and more people to that same system and they're trying to weaken you. But we do not live by bread alone. So they're not only going to be isolating you from your jobs you know, and from your businesses and destroying businesses millions of businesses all across the country They want to isolate you so that you do not even have fellowship. Now, they've actually been doing that for a 100 years. Social Security isolated elements of your society from essential elements of your society. You didn't have to do any more for your parents because they could get Social Security. You didn't have to do for people who were disabled because Social Security would send them a check. You know, their disability check. So they were isolating you from the people who might have needs in the world. And you didn't have to take care of them because the government's going to do it. That is breaking down the elements of your society. And you didn't even know that. But anyway, we're going to shift back a gear. We'll come back to that. What was one of the common things that were going on at the time of the rise of Christianity. And it had been around for about 300 years. But of course, this idea of the Essenes, and John the Baptist was probably an Essene, had been around for 300 years as well. The Greeks talk about those people that we eventually call Essenes 300 years before Christ. But what was going on started with a guy named Zeno of Citium. And uh, it was a Hellenistic philosophy. It was called Stoicism. And it was around for a long time. It's kind of a philosophy of personal ethics informed by its system of logic. They, They come to ethical, personal ethics in their life based on logic. And then it varied because logic varies with individuals. You know, what they're willing to see. But... It became known as a teaching, this Stoicism. And um, it had uh, this idea of accepting the moment, living in the moment. Allowing oneself to be controlled by desires and pleasures or fear and pain was a bad thing. You didn't want to allow yourself to be controlled by that. You wanted to deal with the moment as it is, kind of a kind of a spark, logical approach, 
and uh, amazed at things and non-emotional, etc., etc. That's Spock is a classic stoic. <laughs> so anyway, um, and so that you come to an understanding of the world by your mind. But even the word, the Greek word in mind, has to do with soul, and they they come up with ideas like spirit. And uh, here I'll, I'll, I'll read something to you from Marcus Aurelius. This is Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And a lot of Christians actually use Marcus Aurelius meditations as a sort of uh, a source of inspiration. If you read some of them, they sound like a Presbyterian minister's sermon. But uh, one of the things about Marcus Aurelius, which was long after the beginning of Christianity, was Marcus Aurelius had one of the worst human rights records for official persecution of Christians. Yet Christians are going to Marcus Aurelius for some of their inspirational sermons. So how is that? Well, one of the things that he he wrote, and uh, in in the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, he he writes, and I quote here again in the doctrine of the Trinity, the ecclesiastical conception of Father, Word, and Spirit find its germ in the different Stoic names of the divine unity. Thus Seneca, who was a Stoic, writing of the supreme power which shapes the universe, this power we sometimes call the all-ruling God. You know, kind of like the existing one, the Yadavai. Sometimes the incorporate incorporeal wisdom sometimes the Holy Spirit sometimes destiny the church had only to reject the last of these terms to arrive at its own acceptable definition of the divine nature while further assertion these three are one which the modern mind finds paradoxical was no more than commonplace to those familiar with Stoic notions. So what they're kind of saying is that this idea of the Trinity, Father, Word, Logos, and Spirit, is of a Stoic design. That 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 comes from the Stoic philosophies. And, you know, Ambrose of Milan, this Bishop Ambrose of Milan, who became a bishop because of the order of Constantine and the demand of the people. He was already in the business of charity. I shouldn't say charity. He was in the business of welfare because the welfare at that time was through the government. Just like it is with you today, most of your welfare is taken care of by the government. You know, Welfare payments, uh, Social Security, which is a form of welfare. Uh, it's not an insurance payment. It's not an insurance program. They make that clear. The author of it <laughs> makes that clear that uh, there's no money on deposit for you. This is a Corbin system of statutory uh, provisions. And it's identical to the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect because it's not based on charity. It's based on forced offerings. But anyway, Ambrose was already in charge of such a system for the Roman Empire. They were going away from such a system. They said, well, who do you trust to be the new bishop under this new system that we're going to call Christianity? And they said Ambrose, because they trusted Ambrose. 
And so they went and they made him bishop. Well, he wrote all kinds of stuff. He's considered a church father. He was a Stoic by philosophy. Uh, and he, you see that in his early writings about Christianity. And like I said, Ambrose, after he became bishop, had to take some time off to go and find out what Christianity was all about. Then he came back after he did a little bit of studying and supposedly now he's a Christian and he starts writing about it. Well, one of the things he appeared in front of the Senate of Rome to have certain Christians who didn't go along with his view of Christianity exiled. Well, long before that, we already had the exile of uh, of Stoics like Seneca who was exiled. I think he was exiled by Claudius, if I remember right, the Emperor Claudius, um, who knew Christians. Uh, Claudia was a Christian. Uh, her brother, uh, Linus, was a Christian, mentioned in the Bible. And uh, Claudia, like I said before, was named Claudia when she was adopted by the Emperor Claudius. And he adopted her because he thought she was really something but she was actually a Christian from Great Britain <laughs> who was married to a nephew I think it was his nephew yeah nephew of Paul's half brother <laughs> so anyway yeah so anyway so they're all mixed up together but anyway back to Ambrose was the stoic and with Ambrose came a lot of writings that has influenced Christianity and has been a part of that developing of the image of Christ in your mind. And the image of God in your mind. Such as Trinity. Now I'm not saying there isn't a Trinity. I'm just saying our view of what we call the Trinity. Our emphasis upon this thing we call the Trinity. Some of that has been influenced by the writing of St. Ambrose. I shouldn't even use the term St. Ambrose. That's the way they write it. It's this Ambrose of Milan, who was a bishop of Milan. He wasn't a Christian bishop. He was a Constantinian Christian bishop. The real Christian bishops at that time, there were thousands of them, they wouldn't even come to the Council of Milan because they knew it was fake Christianity. It was devoid of some of the essentials of the Christianity, Christianity, the way taught by Jesus Christ, which said that you could not covet your neighbor's goods through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, like Constantine was his entire life. So the Church of Constantine said, oh, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, as long as the government takes from your neighbor and gives to the church <laughs> or gives to the poor. Contrary to the teachings of Christ accepted by modern Christians today, which puts them under a strong delusion from which they need to repent in order to have the tools to overcome what's coming tomorrow. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
we were talking about Stoicism as uh, it affected the early Christian church of the 4th century, which is not the true Christian church, but the Constantinian Christian church. Now, there were probably some elements of Stoicism in Christianity because there were a lot of elements in Stoicism. And Christianity might have some parallel uniqueness to it. They, it was very much a part of Stoicism is to have this uh, now approach to what you do. And the kingdom of heaven is in the moment. It's at hand. It's in the now. Uh, just like the word Yahweh, Yahweh, is the existing one. In the moment. Now. Existing. But of course, Yahweh exists now and in the future and in the past. It's it's more all-encompassing. But if we are to have God in our hearts, that will be in the now. It doesn't do any good if tomorrow you're going to have God in your heart. <laughs> it has to do with having God in your heart now. And so that's very much a part of the idea of Christianity. So, yeah, those are overlapping concepts. Christianity didn't come out of Stoicism. It came out of Christ. But Christ was repeating Moses over and over again. Moses undoubtedly followed some of the very principles of Abraham. And Abraham was true to the principles that existed before the flood amongst people like Enoch. This is why Abraham was building these altars of living stone to provide for the needy of society through charity in hope by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the way. Of God. What is the way of God? God gives life. So therefore, if God, if we come in the name of God, we have to be someone who gives life. You know, the, the book, uh, I think it's Anna Karenina, uh, Tolstoy, uh, where the guy's trying to figure out, you know, why do people believe in God? You know, where's the miracle of God? You know, how, how do people believe this stuff and why? And then finally, he saw a peasant talking about two different uh, landowners. And one landowner was nice and good and, and did all kinds of things for others that he, you know, might not receive any particular reward for. But he chose to be good and and the other one was selfish and everything was about him. And everything was about what he could get. And in that distinction between those two guys, he found um, the miracle he was looking for. This miracle of actually doing good for others with only the hope that it might come back to you. And he saw that as a miracle. And of course, that's what, you know, the loaves and fishes story, as I tell it anyway, and as I believe it's saying right there in the text, the miracle was in the fact that people sat down together and began to share. That is the miracle. They began to cast their bread upon the waters in hopes that it might come back to them. That that they were willing to come to lay down their life uh, so that they might pick up life more abundant. And so that's the miracle of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, it's it's really pretty simple. But we we seem to stray from it. And this this great reset is trying to 
groom you to even be more separated from the Spirit of God, from the Father and the Word and the Spirit, than you were already. But you've been groomed for a long time now. And we'll we'll go through that eventually, but probably not in these shows, or probably a week or so from now. We'll go through exactly how you've been groomed and how to ungroom yourself and to groom yourself for the kingdom of God, which Christ talks about all the time. Just doesn't use that word groom. And sitting down in this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, not necessarily with people right next door to you, but eventually that's the goal, is to have these intimate congregations closer and closer together. But where it begins is that you're willing to let go of your power and control of something that you have a right to in hopes that it may come back to you. That casting your bread upon the water. Frisbeeing a tortilla out there over the lake and hoping that it comes back to you. <laughs> so that is, that's the metaphor. How you do that, lots of different ways you can do that. You know, obviously you can stop and help some little old lady change a tire on the side of the road. And you say, well, I wasn't going to get anything out of it. Yeah, you were going to get her appreciation out of it. Maybe you were just virtue signaling. Uh, here, you know, pay somebody else anonymously to go and change the old little old lady's tire. And he doesn't, you know, you, you dial up somebody you don't even know. You know, a local gas station, you say, you know, here's my credit card number. Go over there and fix that old lady's tire for her. And they don't even know you. They may never even see you, but you've just paid for her getting her tire fixed. She's not going to smile and you just go away with that. You know, this is what Christ is trying to impart when he's saying, you know, don't do your almsgiving where everybody can see it. Well, one of the ways to do that is to give to somebody on the other side of the country. <laughs> now, that ultimately you do need you do need that interaction with people. Seeing the smiles. You know, I wanted to get a t shirt, I haven't done it yet. It says, Thank you for not wearing a mask. <laughs> I mentioned that to a perpetual mask wearer. He actually didn't have it on at that particular time. I didn't know he was an addicted mask wearer. Uh, but he made a comment. He says, well, you ought to do that. You'd probably make a lot of money. And I thought, like, yeah, but the way he said it, it sounded like he, I found out later that he was the kind of person that turned you in if you didn't wear a mask. But I just happened to catch him when he didn't have his mask. <laughs> probably because he was already suffering from Acadia. And uh, he didn't. You know, he's become listless and indirected anxiety and inability to concentrate and he forgot to put his mask on. Because <laughs> it, it's going to get old. All this is going to get old, but that's okay. They're going to come up with phase four of their great reset and you may not survive phase four and five. But anyway, when Seneca was uh, cast out into his... Uh, forced uh, isolation you know when he was exiled he was trying to deal with it where he wasn't able to do all the things that he was doing before in Rome and now he's in this isolated position 
he he wrote down uh, six basic things to do to deal with this isolation and he says work with what you can change you know uh, limit your anger he would say to be sure and do those things which you can do something about and often you know people ask how do you know whether it's the holy spirit we had this conversation on the community call recently and uh you know it it's a matter of habit it's a matter of uh constantly being forefront in your mind to ask what should i do lord before you do anything you know what would you have of me and you ask a place inside your heart, a still small voice place that you begin to recognize over, you know, a lifetime. Back when I was a teenager, even before I was a teenager, I was meditating because I had all kinds of health problems as a as a youth. Uh, yesterday, I actually uh, I popped a rib uh, lifting a railroad tie. <laughs> well, actually, I'd already lifted it and put it in the hole for a railroad tie for a fence post, actually a corral post. I'm trying to fence in the bull so he doesn't jump out of our corrals again. And But I had to turn it. And so I, you do a bear hug on it. That's one way to turn it. That was a stupid way to turn it. And I tried to turn it in the hole. And uh, all of a sudden I felt this rib pop. And uh, so it's really sore. So anyway, the you know, so I, I should have done is you wrap a chain around it and you put my big long, I have made a big pry bar that's eight foot long. It's, most people think it's too heavy to use, but I use it. And with that leverage, I was able to turn it in the hole. Well, I should have done it that way. Instead, I, I, in a big hurry, tried to do it by just strong arming it and pulled my rib. But Seneca was saying that, you know, when you're limited... And you have to limit that anger to be sure and do what you can with what you have. I should have done that, but I was in a rush. I thought I was in a rush. Now I'll probably be delayed getting everything done. I continue to work for the rest of the day, but I'm, I'm working slower now. But uh, my impatience made me make it choice that was a mistake I shouldn't have done it that way I should have done it the other way so it's a habit if I was listening to that still small voice I would have been more patient in my work and would not have injured myself we all have those choices all the time now some people make a series of bad choices and they get farther and farther from the kingdom. One of the key elements of that is you have to admit that you're making bad choices. Repent of that. This is the repentance part, the changing of your mind, and go back and make the right choices. So back when I was very young, I was learning to meditate and quiet my mind for other reasons, for health reasons, learning to breathe properly and everything. But in that practice... I developed an ability to quiet my mind. That's just a skill, like, you know, doing a push-up or doing exercises, you know, so that you can pick up railroad ties. <laughs> but how you pick up that railroad tie and how you maneuver it needs to be guided by the Holy Spirit and not by your own ambition 
or your fear of failure or your own personal anxieties. I'm mentioning those things because that's going to be very important in understanding when you're being groomed and how to prevent that through depending upon the Holy Spirit to give you an answer in the moments of your life. Doesn't do any good if I see to you, if I see the Holy Spirit guiding me in my life, it only will be a value if you listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you're not supposed to be following me, you're supposed to be following the Holy Spirit. In order to get to that point, you have to be willing to see the truth about you, the Word. The truth is the Word. The Word is the truth. The Word about you is essential for the Holy Spirit entering into you. All this is within the universe that God has created, of which you, to some degree, are the center of that universe. And But you, as the center of that universe, is going to come into the proximity of other people who are the center of the universe, too. And that interacting without violating them is essential to opening the door to the Holy Spirit. So there's there's three keys right there to unlocking the way to the kingdom of God. And you could say that that's locked up in the Trinity. But a lot of people just want to say, I believe in the Trinity because I believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they have no idea what that means. That's just the statue in their mind. They think they believe in the Trinity. They believe in a statue of the Trinity in their mind, an image of the Trinity in their mind. It's not incorporated in their corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. It's not interlaced in their soul in this universe. It is just an image of the Trinity in their mind. And ministers are paid big bucks to make you feel comfortable with the image of the Trinity in your mind. They think they are the comforter. They think they, you know, if you're on your deathbed, they're going to go in there and comfort you. Now, we all should comfort one another, but never to the point of of comforting your delusion. We should be strengthening you in the ways of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're given to work with. We are given our neighbors to work with. We are giving ourselves in proximity to our neighbors so that we can learn to interact with our neighbors in a way that strengthens them, not weakens them. Most ministers are in the business of tickling people's ears to be their comforter so that they never come to a knowledge of the God of the Holy Spirit. They don't, they're not leading them to the Holy Spirit. This is how, why, and how they withhold elements of the gospel. The gospel tells you to live by faith, hope, and charity, but they say, no, you can live by social security, welfare, unemployment checks, and stimulus checks. You just have to believe in the image of the Trinity that we have created for you in your mind. <laughs> you see, <laughs> they 
they are, there is no substitute for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is between you and God. I am not between you and God. The Holy Spirit is there. You need to communicate with God through the Holy Spirit. Now I'm over here. If you come into, you know, within the sound of my voice on the radio, whatever, I do not want to influence you instead of the Holy Spirit. I would like to influence you instead of the spirit of the world. And the spirit of the world says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. I'm telling you it's not okay. That attacks many people's delusion. Don't be mad at me. Christ said it. It is not to be that way with you. That's part of the process of repentance. Process of repentance. Is that you begin to realize, I need to go another way. For the last 100 years, we have been going the way of free education, uh, free social security, free disability, free welfare, free stimulus checks, guaranteed incomes at the expense of our neighbor. And that is away from the kingdom of God. It is taking you away. In order to do that, it has to alter your thinking. I'm saying you need to alter your thinking back, but you don't know how to alter it back on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. I'm just making reference to the fact that you haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit or you wouldn't be in the mess you're in today. So anyway, back to Seneca. Seneca says you got to limit your anger, anger to be sure and work with what you have. And he points out that what makes hardship worse when we imagine that we are exceptional. We, we are only exceptional in the eyes of God. We are not exceptional in our own eyes. We're just like everybody else in our own eyes. So we are only exceptional in the eyes of God because we're unique. And in that uniqueness, we can have a relationship with God. But you do not have a relationship with God with me chattering in your ears. You have a relationship with God to that still small voice you find in your heart, sometimes in those stoic, monastic moments when you're by yourself. But that will do you no good unless you carry out what you learn in those moments often learn without words. You learn by being still. And then you wake up, you open your eyes, and you go out and interact with the rest of the world in ways that are coming in the name of Christ. If it is not God at the center of that message, you will get the wrong message. How do you make sure that it's God at the center of that message? You have to be self-sacrificing. You have to be forgiving. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. You have to admit that you haven't always been that way. So you have to confess the truth at least to yourself that you are not perfect. In yourself, you are not exceptional. You will actually be forced to conform to the world if you aren't allowing God to conform you to his nature. You cannot conform to God's nature. 
God will conform you to his nature as you let him in. What keeps him out is your judgment, your selfishness, your anger, your fear, your anxiety. You have to let those things go. Put yourself at the mercy of the Holy Spirit. So, it's also Seneca talks about choosing a model. And of course, the model is Christ. We want to come in the name of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve others. He didn't go to church for what he could get out of it. He gave, went to church for what he could give to it. This is one of the reasons we see elements of Christ in a lot of people. This is why they're tearing down our heroes. They don't want you to honor your father and your mother. Well, they got that pretty much essentially set up with Social Security. The state will take care of your mother and father. You don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to take care of your neighbor. The state will take care of your neighbor. You know, I've talked to you before about how Australia, I took Australia's example that back in the 30s they had a certain number of unwed mothers. Not a lot, but it was taken care of almost exclusively by charities, you know, such as the churches or their families. Well, the eventually the church began to get help from the state in this process. And then eventually by 1960s, the state took it over and said that the churches can still do it, but they're not going to get any of our money if they put any moral requirements on these young girls. So eventually now you just go down to the state. You don't go to church if you if you fall on hard times and you become a pregnant you know, unwed mother and needs help giving birth to the child and take care of the child and providing for the child, you just go to us. And the more children you have, well, the more money you get. And if you get married, well, you're going to get less money. So they incentivized having no father in the home. You took out the elderly of your home when they created Social Security. You took out the disabled when they added disability. You took out your parents, uh, and now they take out the husband. They're isolating you because it's important that you interact in faith, hope, and charity. You don't have to do that anymore because the state's got you covered. So what model have you been following? Have you been following the model of Christ? No. So anyway... Stoics also, you know, uh, expect the worst, <laughs> and, and but hope for the best, but work, hope and work for the best. And I used to always say that, always expect the worst, and then you'll never be disappointed. Uh, because if you don't get the worst, that's not a disappointment. You're happy you didn't get the worst. <laughs> so anyway... So that was kind of the stoic approach. And the last thing that he says, enjoy what is in your power. And so that's a lot of times when I go to do something and I ask, you know, especially when my kids would ask me questions or people ask me questions, I ask in the still most of what's the answer? Where should I go with that? And sometimes the answer comes to me. and Sometimes nothing comes. Well, then I just have to act with what I have. I may not be able to give them an answer. I just, you know, like if, if I ask God in the morning, what do you want me to do? And he doesn't give me any clear pathway. Then I depend upon the logic 
what needs to be done. Animals need to be fed. The bullpen needs to be built. Uh, uh, this needs to be written. And a lot of times I take away from the work I could be doing out here for my own livelihood and the livelihood of my family. And I put that time into writing what we see at Preparing You, what we see at HisHolyChurch.org and HisHolyChurch.net and and uh, doing these audios and and trying to show you what the kingdom of God is all about. But the world is out there busy too. So, you know, remember the 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 parable what Jesus talks about, uh, Come ye blessed, for I was hungry, hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and he, and I was naked, and you clothed me, etc. And uh, they say, when did we do these things for you? When you did them for the least of my brethren. And, of course, my brethren are not just the poor. He didn't say when you did it for the the poor. He said when you did it for the least of my brethren. There are really a very few quotes in the Bible by Jesus telling you to go take care of the poor. You go look for them. You you won't find very... If you find them, send them to me. I'd love to see them. Now, there's reference in the Bible about taking care of the poor. But I said quotes out of the mouth of Jesus. He said the poor you'll have with you always. This is not a reference to the poor. This is a reference to his brethren. Who are his brethren? They're the ones who are not of the world. And uh, I was looking for those quotes by Jesus. I couldn't find them. Because uh, there's really very little in there about Jesus telling to go help the poor. I'm not saying he didn't want you to help the poor, but that was not his emphasis. And this, is again, is not about you feeding the poor. It's about you taking care of his brethren. His brethren are those who are doing the will of the Father. These are my brethren who do the will of the Father. He's making it clear. He's not saying all you guys are my brethren. He says these here are doing, and that's his called out, who are doing what? He is called to do. And that is the ministers of Christ who are not your comforter. But they may provide meat. (laughs) But anyway, we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about uh, a number of things here that uh, are leading up to understanding how you've been groomed to be drawn away from the kingdom of God instead of being groomed by your ministers to enter into the kingdom of God and to know that is important so that you can make some of the alterations in your own life and one of those chief alterations that should be in your life is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and as a minister of Christ I am commanded to require that you do that. Those of you who put that off may find yourself amongst the foolish virgins someday because you have no oil by which to enter in. You have to go away and it's too late to get the oil to enter in. What's the oil? The oil is what makes your light shine. It's what burns in your lamp. And uh, you. so this is a process of seeking the kingdom of God. So there's... This parable of the Good Samaritan, where a guy goes and gets beat up. He not only gets beat up and stripped, he probably got COVID too. And <laughs> he's in this ditch. You know, uh, maybe he got the vaccination and he's in the ditch. Who knows? 
And uh, a certain priest came along and did not help him. And a Levite came along and did not help him. But a Samaritan, who was considered kind of the dogs of society, you know, they were the outcasts of society by Jewish standards. They weren't outcasts in the Samaritan society, but the, in the Jewish uh, society they were outcasts. He bound up his wounds. He uh, took care of him. Took him to an inn. Paid for his stay at the inn to be taken care of. And went away. And said, any more that you need, I will pay when I return. Why didn't he just take him down to the, you know, it's the state's job to do this. Well, actually, the Levite and the priests, they were the ones who were in charge of that stuff. That that That's what the Levites, and as we said earlier in the show, the Levites, and a priest is... Usually a Levite, he's just in charge of this distribution of funds, receiving and distributing of funds. And the Levite is is these ministers of tens, hundreds, and thousands and who own all things in common. But they are a part of that welfare system, that religion. That's what religion was. It was the welfare system of Israel. Just like the welfare system of Abraham with these stone Altars, these living stone altars that he was setting up. He set them up not just for his own people, but for people all round about him. And because of that, he was able to muster an army overnight to defeat the army that invaded the land on which they lived. Now, somebody tweeted that uh, in recent war games that... Uh, uh, it appears that uh, our, was it our Navy or our Air Force would be overcome quickly by the Chinese because they've expanded their military so much over the last 30, 40 years. And ours has been declining and, and now more than ever. And they said that they might be able to do this, overcome us because of a biological attack. And it was tweeted to me by Kyle, is it Kastner or whatever his name is? But anyway, uh, I tweeted back. I don't usually tweet. Um, but I tweeted back. I says, they've already received the biological agent <laughs> in the form of two shots, uh, supposedly vaccinations. <laughs> Because you have to remember that the, this vaccine, so-called vaccine, is being given to your military. I don't know how much of the military has gotten it already, but uh, uh, this could be devastating. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. When I read the medical reports, when I read the actual science, and we have that up on our page at Preparing You called The Science. Just go to preparingyou.com and look up The Science. And I quote uh, down there in the footnotes, you can actually go and read the the studies yourself that uh, the, the, the top scientists think this is absolutely insane to be giving this to people with no animal trials. No look at long-term effects. That's the only way you can do it is animal trials and then human trials over a long period of time to see what the long range. They didn't. They skipped the animal trials. And and the human trials, if you didn't drop dead, they think, oh, it, it's working. <laughs> this is, you're meddling 
with the very essence of your humanity. There may be no coming back from this. But anyway, that parable, it was up to the individual to help. If the Levite was going to help, if the priest was going to help, they were going to help with free will offerings. You don't do that anymore. You help with forced offerings. And and what do we see? $1.9 trillion pandemic relief, they call it, package moving through Congress advances an idea that Democrats, I'm reading the headline here, Democrats have been nurturing for decades, establishing a guaranteed income for families with children. And, uh, yeah, this somebody has been... <laughs> entertaining this for decades I've seen it a lot in Europe and now I guess the Democrats are talking about it but Democrats have shifted I mean you can go look at Schumer and all these stuff their stance 10 years ago on immigration on the budget all these things at least out of their mouths has completely reversed there's an agenda going on they think they think they're going to benefit from this but there is as much under a strong delusion as the people who are following them. You know, Second Thessalonians 2.12 says that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What about Second Corinthians 6.14? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Well, today they want you all to have communion and be yoked with people who believe in forced contributions rather than charity. And out of that comes the idea that there are no genders except what you imagine. There is no God except what you imagine. There is no right and wrong except what you imagine. And out of that you can call good evil and evil good. Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth, giveth him not for his work. That's all of you. You have income tax. Like my father used to say, you know, I said, who do you work for? He says, until July 1st, I work for the government. Because he was in a 50% income tax. All that time, the first year, of course they do it day by day, but the first half of the year, he didn't get paid anything. It all went to the government first. First half of the day, first half of the year, whatever you want to divide it. That's how you've built your house. Not just recently, but you've been doing that for almost 100 years. It's coming on 100 years and you will have been doing that. Jeremiah 22:13 says, "Woe unto him that buildeth his house with his house by unrighteousness." Not only that, but you build it by borrowing against the future, and you think you're a Sabbath keeper. Wow, you're unequally yoked with these unbelievers. What do you do? 
sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself and God will groom you for his kingdom. Put that off and you will have no oil when the door is shut. Luke 16.9 And I say unto you, Make to yourself friends with the mammon of unrighteousness. People were locked into that system in Israel. Everybody who had signed up, they were locked into that system. The only way out was to be cast out. And that's where it is with you now. The only way out is to be cast out. If you haven't already sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start grooming and cultivating in you the character of Christ by doing what Christ actually said, then your image of Christ must be a delusion. Because if you really had the real Christ in your heart, you would be doing this. But that's good news because you can do something about it now. There's still some time left. He goes on that when you fail in that unrighteous mammon, they may receive you into everlasting habitation because you are honest. All you tax protesters who just want to lie and cheat to get out of taxes but are doing nothing to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness you're you're not going to have any oil to burn your lamps. John seven eighteen. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So this is Christ, and this is what we should be doing, not to seek our own glory but to show the way of Christ. And the way of Christ is that each of us walk with him in the Holy Spirit. You know, before Second Thessalonians 2.12, there was Second Thessalonians 2.10, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth and the that they might be saved. And the love of the truth is the truth is that you should not be coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other, even though they call themselves benefactors. Whether their name be Obama or Trump, it doesn't make any difference. The solution is the kingdom of God. So many people I know have been wasting time expecting, what was it, March 4th, that Trump was supposed to come back and arrest all the bad guys. That's a 1984 delusion. You just do what Christ said for Christ's sake. <laughs> for your sake, I hope you do. Hebrews 8.12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquity, iniquities will I remember no more. If you repent, he will forgive you. But you have to begin by forgiving others and gathering together with others in a network of faith, hope, and charity, as he commanded. Second Peter two twelve or two thirteen. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it a pleasure to riot in the daytime 
spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Feast with you? They're taking the benefits. People said, how can these guys spend all this time? Don't they have to work? (laughs) No. They're feasting on the benefits. How many people that were out there writing were already getting a government check? How many? You think they took off work to do that? No. Second Peter 2.15 Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, which is the way of the Nicolaitan, the way of the conquered people, the people who have been conquered by their own desires and ambitions. How did we get to that point? Well, actually, I won't have time to get all the way through it, but I think we can get started on it. Uh, there was an article written in the New York Times. Uh, child tax credit stimulus uh, was kind of the heading of it. And, and actually, I already read you the, the original heading of this idea of the guaranteed income. And they featured a particular wo- woman, Anik Elaine Hoop. And uh, I think that's, I pronounced that correct, Hoop. But anyway, um, she she lives in uh, Georgia, Norcross, Georgia. I actually looked her up. She's got a Facebook page and everything. And uh, she she talks about, my papa has always been uh, my go-to and my father. He raised me from the womb. He taught me the morals of life and introduced me to Christ. I love you forever, Papa. I hope you enjoy your birthday today. But anyway, what she did, and she's the center of this article because this is supposedly showing you how we, we need this guaranteed income to help people out. Uh, she She's a single mother, had a child years ago. The child is actually He's a big kid now. Uh, I was trying to figure out what his age was. I eventually figured it out in the article. She's a singer, single mother in Atlanta working as a letter carrier, running a side business, catering picnics and uh, settling into a rent-to-own home in uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia, where she thought her boys would flourish in class and excel in the football field. Then the pandemic closed the schools, the boys' grades collapsed, and distance learning, and she quit work to stay home in hopes of breaking their fall, expecting unemployment aid that never came. She lost her utilities, uh, ran short of food, and was recovering from an immobilizing bout of covid when a knock brought marshals with an eviction papers. And uh, so anyway, this supposedly a terrible thing. The reality is, is so now the state has to bail her out with $300 per child is going to, because of these, these new bills that are being passed. Well, let's go back to that quote off of her Facebook. Well, her papa, my father, who raised me from the womb, etc., etc. Her father's the state. The natural father is supposed to be there as your social welfare. The Your family is supposed to be there as your social welfare. And when your family can't find its way to make, you know, with effort, 
working at it diligently, can't still find a way to help you out enough so that you can survive, then you would go to the church. And the church would make up the difference. All this is made to strengthen you within society. But she doesn't have to do that. Now, because President Biden's, they actually in the article, they refer to him as President Biden, $1.9 trillion stimulus package. They mentioned that one time. All the other times, in reference to Biden, it's Mr. Biden. They just keep repeating Mr. Biden. I thought, like, that seems strange to me. <laughs> but anyway, because uh, they say the bill, which is likely to pass the House, and I guess it already has, uh, and be signed by Mr. Biden. That's, I thought that was just strange. Uh, you know, raises the maximum benefit for most families. That is not the, that is, Men who call themselves benefactors. Mr. Biden is calling himself a benefactor. But he's actually just a guy that exercises authority one over the other. How many of the people that are pro this trillion dollar stimulus package think they are Christians? And they worship some sort of image of Christ in their minds. Yet this bill and thousands others like it for the last 50 to 100 years, has been taking from your neighbor to provide you with free benefits, free schools, free welfare, free Social Security, free, you know, uh, food stamps. All this is contrary to Christ. You can go believe in whatever trinity you want to believe in. You can tell me that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Just as she said that her father... She's not going to him. She's not going to her uncle. She's not going to her neighbors. She's not going to her church. She's going to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. The the article goes on and talks about while the bill has not won any Republican votes, (laughs) critics have largely focused on other elements of the rescue package. They call it a rescue package. It's destroying America with the last vestiges of America. Uh, some conservatives have called uh, the child benefit welfare. It is welfare. And warned that it would bust budgets and weaken incentives to work or marry. And it does. It has always done that. You could, the whole history of these kinds of programs proves that it does. It weakens the poor. She goes on and talks about her hopes of starting her own business. Because she quit her job with the post office. You think you're going to have more time when you have your own business? And, you know, she's living in a delusion. Goes on to say, Mr. Biden's embraces the subsidies as a leftward shift for a Democratic Party that made deep cuts in the cash aid in the 1990s under the theme of ending welfare. So instead of ending welfare, we've gone more and more in that direction. You know, it just, it says, though she was young when she had a child, she came close to finishing her bachelor's degree, found work as a pharmacy technician. I don't know what she made there, but then took a job with the post office 
to lift her wages to nearly $18 an hour. I don't know how many hours a week she worked. Raising the son on her own, she took in a nephew whom she regards as a second child. Of course, by taking in the nephew, she got another check. Now, I'm not saying that she didn't. I don't know what her motives were for taking the child in. But I know people who have taken in families or, you know, uh, people who've lost their parents and did not get another check. They just took them in. Her, her son, they're 14 and 11. You know, our kids uh, were all home taught. Distance learning was what we chose for them. <laughs> and they've learned a great deal. Uh, and, you know, our article's up, Schools as Tools, you can find that at Preparing You also, shows that uh, they're not teaching their kids, even if they get good grades, they're being brainwashed in those schools. They're not learning real history. They're going to be... Anybody who learned real history knows that the decline and fall of the Roman Empire was directly related to centralization of government power and the free bread and circuses. All these new bills are just doing the same thing. But you're receiving them and accepting them and listening to New York Times articles that are saying this is a good thing and poo-pooing the idea that it's going to weaken them and discourage marriage. Marriage doesn't matter anyway, right? Mother and father don't matter anyway. Husband and wife don't matter anyway. Father and son, father and daughter, daughter and son, male and female don't matter anyway. We don't need any of that. We got government. You have been groomed to accept those ideas. As foreign as they are, as crazy as they are, you've been groomed to accept that. But when I talk about the kingdom of God, thousands, millions of people living by faith, hope, and charity in a network of charity where we take care of one another, caring as much about one another as we care about ourselves, which makes us a peculiar people. It seems so foreign to you. You don't even know how to act. You don't even know how to take the first step. The first step is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the ten that you're with, you say, what can we do? What do we need to do? How can we help you get into your own business? How can we help you educate your children without sending them to public school? There's so many things you can do. But anyway, we'll have to continue this this afternoon show. And uh, until then, all I can say is peace upon your house. Join the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We'll see you in the kingdom. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www 
www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.